Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now friends, this is actor Jim Broadbent. You saw the movie last week I was in, Life is Sweet. What a time, wasn't it? Remember when I got that chip van? Oh, it was thrilling. But this week, uh, you're going to watch a different movie. It's a bit fun, this one. A uh, bit sad. Uh, you might want to talk about uh, uh, it's a bit out of touch, I'd say. Uh, it's called Sense and Sensibility. It's based on a book. You like books, don't you? Well, why don't you go bloody read one then? You racist. Thank you, Jim Broadband. And that other lady for coming in for that one line. Yes, thanks, Jane Horrocks. (laughs) You are a gentlewoman and a scholar. And apparently still in character. Always. Always. They never leave character. That's right. Well, I think my name is Brendan. And I'm Jason. Oh, you're more sure of yourself. Oh, I know it. I and know this for a fact. This is a podcast called For Screen and Country. And uh, if you notice us getting distracted at any point or stumbling a little bit, that's because there is a cat on Jason's lap. And she's wonderful. And she fought, fell. And now she's <laughs> rubbing. And now she's walking. This is the cat, the podcasts. You may hear some sounds in the background, but I trust you. It makes it all the better for both of us. But Jason, we have this podcast here. We do. What do we do? On this show, we go through randomly uh, via dice the 1999 British Film Institute list of the greatest British films ever made. Oh, all 100 of them. There we go. From 1935 to 1998. Nine. Well, I don't think there's any. Matrix nine, isn't nine. on this list? No, The Matrix is not on the British Film Institute <laughs> no. top 100 no. British movies of all time. Keanu Reeves. Didn't, didn't Keanu Reeves do the same accent he did in Dracula in this movie? We are not to speak of that okay. ever again. All right. That is a pox on Hollywood. I felt like that, that was the exact representation of all British people. Well, I mean, it's pretty close. I'll yeah. grant you. Yeah. I don't know why Dracula's not here. <laughs> That's basically his British accent. But Jason, we are not talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula. No. We're here to talk about 1995's Sense and Sensibility. But before we do that... We have to talk about another movie, last week's movie... Life is Sweet. So that must mean we have comments, Brendan. What do we have? We have comments aplenty. All right. Aplenty of comments. I like that. A comment hole. Well, that's what we want. We want people to shove their comments in our comment hole. Wow. Is that like Comet? Is that the same thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like the dog Comet from Full House? Yeah, same thing. I don't get your particular uh, brand of reference. 
You've never seen Full House? Uh, I avoided it like the plague when it was on TV. I mean, all you the can time. write to, but that doesn't mean I look. I don't look down on you for not having watched it. Uh, I'm more of a Fuller House guy. You really are the worst. <laughs> Although to be fair, that show is equally as bad as Full House was. So topical because of the college thing. <laughs> Suck it on, Becky. But we are not talking about no. rich white people. Aunt Becky can rot in jail for all we fucking care. Well, all right. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay with that stance. It's not really that hurt that controversial. We're reading comments about life is sweet, and Jason, I think this is going to surprise you, and it kind of hurt me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these are kind of negative. Not as much love as from us. No. Well, that's okay. I want to hear different opinions. Well, Andrew, I, no, fuck that. We are the <laughs> we are the word on life is sweet, and anybody else can rot in hell. Well, I'm just, I mean, yeah. I'm just kidding. I love you all. <laughs> uh, the first comment is from Andrew Littlefield, and he says, "I went to it." really wanting to like it, and I found mostly dull and pointless. Lee is an interesting filmmaker in that he usually works by coming up with an idea for a movie and then collaborating with his cast on the actual script, which we did talk about last week. Uh, The result can be rambling and almost plotless, like this film, or excellent, like Naked and Secrets and Lies. So he's really hit and miss for me. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I I don't mind a movie, personally, that doesn't necessarily have a point. Like, if it's a piece, you know, it's it. I, I feel like Life is Sweet is a movie that's trying to portray something, and I feel like it does that accurately. Like, yeah, I don't... It really I, gets it across without necessarily having this running plot or whatever, but I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, like, I understand that it's... Uh, it is kind of plotless, but like you, like you said, like it, it has a point, though. Yeah. But I've watched plenty of movies in my life that are similarly plotless and are also terrible, so I get where he's coming from. And I mean, one of the... not not a, This is not a critique either way on this movie, but one of the biggest indie hits of all time basically had no plot, and that's Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Dazed and Confused as well basically has no plot. Uh, most Richard Linklater yeah. films. And that's fine. And like, man, <laughs> Slacker, I'll watch any day. And, Dazed and Confused, I'll watch any day. Uh, Everybody Wants Some is another example. Which, yes, and you I have not seen that, and I want to see should. it. should. Boyhood, fucking great, folks. If you haven't seen Boyhood. Boyhood kind of has a plot, sort of. Yeah, well, I mean, but, but Boyhood, you know, obviously is more about the, the process of growing up. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. No, we're, we're talking not. about life is sweet. Let's talk about the next comment from Jessica Johnson. Jessica Johnson, who I assume is a Marvel superhero, says, Mike Lee is one of those filmmakers that I've tried to like on so many occasions, and it just doesn't really work out. Exceptions to the rule, I liked Happy Go Lucky and thought another year was fine. It's been a while since I've seen it, but Life is Sweet was probably the film of his that I enjoyed the least. Yeah, some hate for this movie. Well, I don't want to say it was hate. Some uh, hate? Mild mild dislike, I would say. Some super toxic hate? (laughs) No, yeah. Yeah, and Happy Go Lucky is a really good movie. I've never seen another year, but... I don't know uh, if I've ever seen any other Mike Lee movies. Uh, well, you will, because Secrets and Lies is also on this list. All right. Well, if that one's better than this one, then I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It was nominated the same year as The English Patient, so we'll have a great Ooh. discussion about how that should have won. I'm, I'm going to tell you right <laughs> I now... I have to assume that every other movie nominated the year <laughs> The English Patient was nominated is even worse than The English Patient, so... There's no way. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, without having seen that movie... It should have beat The English Patient. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sharon Horwath hasn't seen the movie. No. But she said, I cannot believe how many Harry Potter alumni are in this movie. Yeah. My favorite, of course, being an unnamed David Thewlis. I mean, yeah. there's David Thewlis, there's Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. Uh, was he in Harry I'm Potter? pretty sure he's got something. I feel like he should have been if he wasn't. I'm pretty sure he is. We also got... Um, uh, uh, fuck. <laughs> There's somebody else in that. Oh, uh, Timothy Spall. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And Peter I'm, Pettigrew himself. I'm probably missing. There's probably other minor characters that are in it. Is fucking what's his name from? Uh, <laughs> I can't think of his name now. The guy in the Crying Game. 
Is he in Harry Potter? No. The guy in the crying game. You mean the guy that played the, the dude that was the chick in the crying game? Spoiler alert! <laughs> no, the guy that was in Life is Sweet that was like his best friend. Andy. Oh, the drunk guy? Yeah. Oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't think he's in Harry Potter, right? I don't think so. Okay, well, I think there's two. There's probably more. I bet you. We, we'd have to use that cross-reference IMDB function to find out. <laughs> That's right. What does Adam Pellman have to say, Adam Pellman, who I believe we heard from before. We have. Yes. Thanks for listening, Adam. Appreciate it. Uh, a good film from a great filmmaker. I find Jim Broadbent and Alison Stedman to be absolutely delightful, but the film feels a bit too loose overall. and doesn't come together like Secrets and Lies or Another Year or even some of his earlier films like Meantime, which has a meandering rhythm and feels like a better match for the directionless lives of his subjects. To my mind, Lee's best film is The Blistering Naked, which features an all-time great lead performance from David Thewlis. Also, Life is Sweet put me off chocolate spreads and syrups for so long after I watched it. Well, that's understandable. <laughs> okay, so Brett Sonnenshine says, I really liked this movie when it came out, but I've sort of sort of forgotten about it. If I had to pick one Mike Lee, uh, it would be Another Year. What a is lot Another of love Year? This Who's movie? in that movie? I don't know. we got to maybe oh, check that out. We have out. to look that one up. It's not on the list, is it? Uh, no. There's only two Mike Lees that are on Secret Lies. Uh, And then uh, there's another one here uh, from Ben Piper. He says, One of my least favorite Mike Lee movies, uh, but it still has a solid B grade for me. Mike Lee is an absolute master director, though. Doesn't get his due in the U.S. quite as much as he should. He's one of the most consistently great feature filmmakers out there, along with the Coens and Wes Anderson. Always high-quality stuff. That's high praise. I mean, Might have to watch more of his stuff. Yeah. Like I said, you really should watch the movie Naked. Mm. It's blisteringly depressing <laughs> but it's so good it's it's excellent and david is it Lewis, as depressing as say something like requiem for a dream maybe more so oh, wow I, I don't remember wow. I, it's been a while since i've seen it but i remember just feeling gross after mm. watching it but also feeling like wow that was really good cool all right so uh our friend nick morrison says i love that movie but i've long since gone past the point of being able to fairly assess it it was, after all, my introduction to Timothy Spall, Jane Horrocks, and David Thewlis. When it was released, it was also the most I'd ever seen of Jim Broadbent. For those reasons alone, I'll never not love it. Gratitude, you know. And that's right, yeah. Well, it's like so many movies, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of a movie that maybe isn't good uh, in my life that I loved, but I don't know offhand. Hackers is a good example. It's like how Island of Dr. Moreau introduced you to Marlon Brando. Exactly, exactly. It's not, it's not the best movie ever made. I mean, it's pretty close. And Hackers introduced me to Angelina Jolie, and I followed her ever since because... Mm. Are you saying Hackers isn't an expertly crafted film? Well, I mean, it is, but I don't think that's the general consensus. I hope Hackers is a remake of something on the BFI. I'd like to see an accurate remake of Hackers, but that's for a different podcast. <laughs> yes, that's tune into our Hackcast. <laughs> Fight the planet! And then the last one simply says... Donald Fisher just says, I love... Well, he didn't say that. Donald Fisher just says, loved that movie. And I had to throw that Thanks, in. Thanks, Donnie. Yeah, I had to throw that in because I needed, I needed someone to just justify <laughs> our opinion. Just unabashedly love it. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a lot of comments. Yeah, um, thanks for the comments, everybody. We love that you're listening, and we love that you give a shit enough to, to do comments, so we appreciate it. A uh, lot of uh, mixed feelings on the movie, yeah. and and uh, which is fine, but I, yeah. I just mean it's so interesting, because I think when we did our, uh, or when we're going to do our rankings, mm. we haven't done them yet. We haven't no, recorded not. yet. What, are, what am I talking about? <laughs> but when our rankings episode comes up, I feel like it's going to be pretty high yeah. up on the, our uh, respective lists. Mm-hmm. So, that's interesting. Um so the last thing we're going to do here, Jason, is uh, just for funsies, we like to do this. We like to compare this movie to the AFI list, the American Film Institute, the Yanks. Uh, so this film, Life is Sweet, was 95 on mm-hmm. the BFI, which is crazy. Yeah, it's, crazy it's a very good movie. Low. I think it's 
Certainly better than at least one movie we've watched. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think 95 is crazy, which is funny because of all the comment. Because most of the comments were, you know, kind of like borderline. Some kind of hating it, some kind of eh with it. Yeah, I don't feel that anybody hated it. I just think that the people no. that, that commented that didn't like it just weren't fans. Just didn't care for it. Didn't which, care for it. Which is, I just think that's interesting. Yeah. Because it's 95. Yeah. And we were like, loving it. Do we miss something? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. So 95 on the BFI is Life is Sweet. On the AFI Top 100, I don't know if you've seen this this movie before, but 95 is The Last Picture Show. Oh. 1971. Uh, I've not seen it. Is Jeff Bridges in that one? Jeff Bridges. Um, uh, Sybil Shepard. Uh, Ellen Burstyn, Cloris Leachman. Cool. It's actually a really, really good movie. Yeah. Is it, what, what is it about? Just give me a brief. It's a sprawling movie about these two uh, guys in Texas. Basically, they're it's like a coming of age movie. Type, oh. type is it, does it involve movies? Uh, with the name Last Picture Show, not really. But oh. there is like a, a worn down theater in town. It's like oh. the last, okay. you know, picture show. All right. Well, I'll it's, have to check it out. It's uh, kind of turn of generation. You know what I mean? Like okay. It's, yeah. Um, I think it's really, really good. I probably pick Life is Sweet though because I really, really, really like that movie. Yeah, by default I go with Life is Sweet as well. As much as I love Jeff Bridges, this was Jeff Bridges back in the day before he was an overt stoner. So who knows? <laughs> but uh, if you, if any of you haven't seen the Last Picture Show, definitely watch it because it's really, really good. And uh, Peter Bogdanovich directed it. Oh. So. so with that being said, Jason, let's move on. Let's talk about this week's film. We're talking about Sense and Sensibility. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, 1995's Sense and Sensibility. After that, I'm going to say that it was a lovely piece of music. It is. It's very, very quiet, very pastoral, very relaxing, and it really lets you know what you're in for with this film today. Well, let's let's go through. So this star, this movie stars Emma Thompson as Eleanor Dashwood. Boom. Alan Rickman as Colonel Brandon. The man. Kate Winslet as Marion Dashwood. Titanic woo. Very young Kate Winslet. This is like her second movie. Yes, she was She, uh, was she only good. did Heavenly Creatures and this, which... Yes. Funny story about Heavenly Creatures a little later on. Uh, Hugh Grant as Edward Ferrers, our old friend Fresh Hugh off Grant. of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Very fresh. I think this was the year before. The year after, I think, wasn't no, it? No, Four Weddings was 94. So this and this was is 95. yeah. So this is the year I after. I meant Four Weddings was the year before. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Fresh off of Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, who does this movie. Yes, thank you. Uh, Gemma Jones plays Miss da- Mrs. Dashwood. Tom Wilkinson, a very brief role as Mr. Dashwood. Harriet Walter as Fanny. Of course. Yes. Greg Wise as Mr. Willoughby. Imogen's, Imogen Stubbs as Lucy Steele. And James Fleet as John Dashwood, who uh, Fleet was also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. He was Tom, the rich dude. Oh. And this is also written by Emma Thompson and directed by Mr. Ang Lee. Of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Film. And his best movie, Hulk. Hulk. <laughs> I'm so glad we were in sync of that one. <laughs> I thought you were going to, I was afraid you were going to be like, Ice Bro- Storm. <laughs> well, that's a good movie too. It's a great movie. 
Uh, but yeah, so having that said, that is a monster cast. Yeah. And a, 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 a great director. A who's who of British film stars in the 90s? And Ang Lee. Yes, and Ang Lee. <laughs> so tell us, Jason, tell us what this uh, Jane Austen adapted movie, Sense and Sensibility, 1995, tell us what it's all about. So as we pointed out, our old friend Tom Wilkinson, late of, uh, well, I mean, was this, this was before The Full Monty? Yeah, this was before yes. The Full Monty. So getting ready for his role in The Full Monty, he decided to take a little side job and be in the first 22 seconds of this movie. Yeah, two years before The Full Monty two came out. Two years before The Full Monty. He's really preparing for that role. But uh, he does this job to make some money, and he plays the old uh, uh, Mr. Dashwood who's dying. And, he, and of course, as he's dying, he's leaving his estate to his son. Uh, who is uh, uh, of his first wife? But... And that's that's the dude who was Tom in, uh... yes, yeah, yes, in four weddings. Um, uh, but he also has some half sisters from the second wife, and he makes uh, Mr. Dashwood makes Tom promise. Uh, sorry, not Tom. Uh, makes John promise. <laughs> sorry, I threw you off now. Makes John promise that he will take care of of those girls. Yeah, and because, he does because yeah, because he can't leave it to them. He can't leave it to them because of the law and the way things are. It has to go to the firstborn son. So he's like, please take care of them, and he promises him he will. I mean, just as well, like, women handling money, right? (laughs) We're men. But speaking of bitch women, so it turns out that John's wife, Fanny, is a bitch woman. Uh, and, and, and I'm saying I bitch woman. I don't know why, but yeah, I was just going to say, it makes it worse because when you, you can say be a bitch, bitch woman. You can be a bitch no matter whether you're a man, woman, or otherwise. Okay. So you can be a bitch across the spectrum, right? So this is a more progressive way of saying yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So uh, so she's a bitch woman, Fanny. She's um, a bitch! And she woman. basically says, like, you don't owe them shit. You should keep that money. That's your money. And... Well, yeah, she, she uh, this is the opening, right? She's talking, it, scene after scene, they're gradually getting less and less money. Yeah. Like, she's talking to him down. He's like, well, if I can just give them uh, 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 $3,000 he wants to give them 3,000 pounds 3,000 pounds sorry and she says uh, no you didn't eat that it's like okay well maybe like 1,500 yeah. like, no, it gets down to the point where they're not giving them shit yeah, yeah. It, it got to 20 pounds and then they were like nah uh, they basically just move themselves into the house and just start treating the people that were living there as, as like unwanted house guests until eventually they uh, are able to move out when a distant relative named Sir John uh, offers them a whoa, cottage. Whoa. We're jumping way ahead here. Well, I'm just saying it's going to okay. happen. Okay. He'll offer them a cottage on <laughs> yeah. the property. But anyway, so right. we're getting there anyway. So, so we'll talk about who's in this movie. Um, so the sisters, are th- the sisters three are Eleanor, played by Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Marianne, played by Kate Winslet. And we've got uh, Margaret, played by a lady whose name I don't quite remember. Right. But she is an, uh, uh, a writer and journalist now. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. She converted to Islam in two thousand three and is like a uh, is a journalist and writer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But she's also very good in this movie. Yeah. She is for a child actress. That's her name. Miriam Francois. Miriam Francois Seurat. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. She plays Margaret. She plays Margaret. Little she's Margaret. Very good. Um, but yeah. So so they insist they get nothing, and they got to figure out new accommodations. But while they're there, they first meet Edward, who is Fanny's brother, played by our old friend Hugh Grant. In a in a less less charmingly befuddled and a little more like just anxious all the time, and for good reason I'd say, as we learn about his character, he just seems kind of always anxious. But that might just be a reflection of British society at the time. I feel like this is also Hugh Grant very consciously trying to do something different. Than yeah, he's, he did four he's, legs and a he's playing it very like very low and like kind of low energy, but also like like a guy struggling to maintain his composure throughout yeah, society. I, but I but I feel like that's also. The real Hugh Grant struggling to maintain a different performance. Yeah, it doesn't want to. Because then, four <laughs> funeral. Because 
I think that was one thing he worried about when he did this movie is he didn't want to just do the same. He thing. didn't just want to be befuddingly Which charming. Then he did for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they meet Edward, and and he quickly forms an attachment to Eleanor, the oldest sister. They uh, they seem to get along pretty well. And in those days, if you were a man and a woman, and you uh, you know you became friendly, it was basically assumed that you were going to get married. Uh, uh, if anybody saw you hanging out, it's like, oh, look at those two hanging out. Clearly, they're not hanging out for any other reason than that they're going to get married. Yeah, and and Eleanor, of course, is very guarded. Yes, in, in a way, like she she's not one to jump into a relationship, whereas Marianne is. Yes, Marianne is very like emotional. Marianne is very guarded. Or sorry, Eleanor is very guarded. She's Emma very Thompson. guarded. Yes, absolutely. and uh, that kind of doesn't work out to her benefit either. No. Uh, they, they both have their own problems with the methods they take toward dealing with relationships. So uh, Fanny inserts herself into the situation when she kind of sees that Eleanor and Edward are, you know, enjoying each other's company. She inserts herself into the situation and tells Eleanor straight up that there's no way that Edward could ever marry her mm-hmm. because uh, if he did, she wouldn't be important enough for him to get his inheritance and he'd be kicked into the family and would be totally disinherited from that money. Because... Uh, I guess if we've learned one thing from these Jane Austen style, these Jane Austen books is that uh, aristocrats at this time, uh, all Are they really cared about was shit? their inheritance. Oh. It was all about if when their parents died, they were going to get the money they they thought they deserved. Basically, if you're rich, you're just as miserable because you're expected to marry someone else that's also well to do, whether you love them or not. And the worst part about this whole thing is too these these people like this was in a time before like TV and video games. <gasps> so if you had nothing else to do you got involved and talked to other people. And there's a lot of people like to say, oh, hey, you know, people should get out and talk to other people and stuff. But the problem is the ultimate end of it is you get this. You get these people having their fucking petty, stupid dramas uh, while everybody else fucking starves working in fields all day. Yep. This is a class polemic now. I'm turning this into a class thing. I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. But yeah, and, and their, their, their poverty is going from being super rich to being, like, well-kept. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they're 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 on the lower end. We're only point. allowed to have two servants now instead of the staff of thirty we had at the old house. Are you talking about like, um, like the Dashwoods? Yeah, yeah. Because they say we're only allowed to retain well, Betty and Tom. Technically, though, yes, but also they're they're not really on their own. Also, they're also getting help from a very rich woman uh, when they when they move away. Uh, you mean Miss Jennings? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're yeah, help. Yeah, I suppose help. I, I mean, I'm sure that she's paying for those servants. I don't they think they're are, paying. They for are them. living on their property. Five hundred a year is not a lot. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. They say they're only allowed to keep two servants, so maybe they are paying for it. They just didn't want to pony up for a whole fucking staff of thirty servants. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So the relationship gets strong, and Fanny is try, does her thing. She does her to... bitchy thing, and just gets in the middle of it, and and wards her off and says, "You can't marry him because yeah. it won't work." And then they say, and then, "Yeah." She basically says, "Well, she says it in a way that's like not like you can't marry him." She tells the mother, "Like, well, he's just he's expected to marry someone of his class if you get my drift." Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. wiggle, wiggle. And it's a shame because everybody seems to like him, especially Margaret. Margaret loves him. They play in the yard. They play sword fighting with each other. Uh, with uh, actual mother, swords. Let's not. Let's, let's, let's not. Full on, full on razor sharp katanas. <laughs> and the mother seems to like her or like him. And the sisters like him. Everybody likes him. Yeah. Well, Marion likes him. Yeah. But I think this is where you get the sense of how they're two very different sisters. Yes. Is that Marion thinks he's like kind of dull yeah and, and he's, he's as reserved as she, as, uh, as, as a, a sis, as her as sister Eleanor is yeah. yeah and she kind of doesn't understand that no that means they would be a good match yeah so but uh yeah there's there's a lot to unravel go ahead so yeah so they they do they get access to this house this cottage uh by Sir John he offers to, for them to stay there and it's in Devonshire 
uh, which I'm sure is lovely this time of year. Mrs. Jennings, who might be the most underrated performance in yeah, this movie. Yeah, she's great. The the mother-in-law of uh, Sir John, I believe. Yes. And, uh, just a force so. to be reckoned with. Oh, yeah, a gossipy queen, basically. Yes, the, the, the worst kind of, like, gossip queen. She's just in everybody's business. But and genuine. tells everybody about... Oh, she's genuine, absolutely. Yeah. But she tells everybody about everybody's business. I mean, that's how, when, when we figure out the thing that's the secret later on, it's her that spreads it around, or <laughs> she hears about it and immediately gets it spread around. Uh, so, let's see. So, they have accepted, and they're living in this place called Barton Park, is the name of the whole estate, and they're living in a cottage on it. And they also meet uh, someone else, uh, Colonel Brandon. Played, played by Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Our old, our old amigo, Alan Rickman. You may remember him from a movie that's not on this list, but should be, even though it's clearly not a British movie, is Michael Collins. I thought you were going to say Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. That's Die a British Hard. movie, right? I mean, why not? So yeah, they meet Colonel Brandon. He's a former comrade in arms to John. They served in the army together. Alan Rickman, by the way, by the way playing a like an amiable, charming character. But also incredibly reserved. But like a nice guy. We yeah, should know. Uh, yeah, not a bad guy. Got a bit of a weird creeper uh, friend zone thing going with uh, uh, the ladies that he just kind of like stares at. But I guess. But I that don't know. I'll, I'll assume I'll attribute that to the thousand yard stare he has from his combat days. <laughs> or the fact that you're so used to seeing Alan Rickman play those types of roles. Yes, as well. It's also it all always filters through to some extent. Uh, yeah, uh, the colonel almost immediately falls in love with Marianne. And why not? Well, I think he I think he really loves her piano playing, mm-hmm. which I'm wondering if, like... Because, of course, we get his backstory a little later, which is crushing. You're saying he's got a weird sexual thing for piano no, playing? No. I'm saying that maybe his, like, his old love, Eliza, mm-hmm. who they talk about later, maybe she was a piano... I don't remember if they mentioned it, but maybe she was also a piano I don't piano remember player. that coming up. I mean, but that could be something just that's there. You know what I mean? Like, that could be something we just kind of assume that might have Or happened. you could be objectively wrong about everything. I'm sorry, Brendan. I love you. It's okay. Look, I don't I don't mean to hurt you when I say these things, but sometimes you just make me so angry. Just keep going with the movie. All right, let's get back. Let's go. Okay. Pull it together! So she doesn't believe, Marianne, she doesn't believe that, that Colonel Brandon can even feel emotions. I mean, maybe not that extreme, but she doesn't think that he's, like, capable of loving anybody. He seems so just, like, mm. Well, she says... Like, Sam the Eagle. Yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. Alan Rickman as Sam the Eagle would be perfect. I know, I know. And they missed that opportunity. <laughs> uh, she says uh, the opportunity will be played with, like, a, a lot where the Muppets are just live-action yes, performers. Yes, put him in a fucking furry suit, and he's Sam the Eagle. <laughs> just makeup. <laughs> That's right. Just um, makeup. I would love... No, uh, what was I going to say? Um, no, she says like he keeps talking about he's 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 a broken down man. He keeps talking about his uh, infirmaries or whatever. And they said, I believe he said slight ache. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah. she describes him as like this broken down old man. And I have like, a slight ache. He's forty. He won't shut up about his medical problems. Yeah. He's forty eight years old, <laughs> yeah. lady. Thirty five in the book. Yeah, I but think he, I I don't believe Alan Rickman is thirty five here. I mean, maybe he's supposed to be about forty. Sure. He was 48. The actual, I'm 35. Yeah. The Alan actor, Rickman was not my age. The actor was 48 at the time. Anyway, Absolutely. Go on. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, she doesn't believe he has any emotions or the ability to feel. And she's not kind of not really interested in him. But she likes going on walks, Marianne. Because, again, this is like 1798. Like, what are you going to do? So you go for a walk. And she takes her sister with her. And they're having a grand old time prancing around in the rain. And what does she do? She slips in the grass and she injures her ankle. Mm-hmm. Mm. Bad times at the at the El Royale. Very bad, and it's looking like she might die. 
because it's 1798 and I mean anytime you hurt yourself you're probably going to die so <laughs> she sends Margaret off to go get help but Margaret's almost run over by the appearance of her knight in shining armor one John Willisby or Willoughby Will Willoughby played Willoughby. by Greg Wise who uh, fun fact is now uh, Emma Thompson's husband oh yeah oh they actually met on the set of this film and oh. then uh, started their romance neat it is neat eh weird that Eleanor would end up with Willisby well, Willoughby. The, you do know the actors are different from the are characters, they? right, Jason? I mean, I thought. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know they're playing roles, but I thought that. I mean, when they when they have a relationship, they do have a relationship. I mean, that's how you do that, right? You know that Hugh Grant didn't really romance her, right? I mean, yes, he did. It was pretty clear. Yeah, he did. He did. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you. Okay. I'm very right about this. Yikes! So I don't want to know your opinions of Clockwork Orange anymore. So, yes. So Willoughby shows up out of nowhere, out of the mist, on his horse, and checks her ankle, asks for permission to touch her, as you do, and uh, very forward-thinking, and everything's cool. It's not broken. She's just got a strain or something. So he picks her up in his meaty arms and walks her back to the house and dumps her on the couch. Didn't they kind of do it? Did you feel like they kind of did a fake-out, too, like when the, when the guy appeared on the horse? Did you think it was going to be Colonel Brandon? Because I sure did. Uh, I... I had much darker thoughts of what a rider in the rain was going to be in the middle of a field. Like, what, what did you think it was going to be a fucking ring wraith well, or something? No. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was a ring wraith that showed up. <laughs> no, I mean like a highwayman or something. You know, like a, a rider that would want to steal her wallet. A highwayman? Like Waylon Jennings? Or yeah, yeah. I am. No, it's a different song altogether. I don't know. Different artist. I don't know if he's one of the highwaymen. By the way, don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't care. No, Waylon, Waylon Jennings? Yes, he was oh, a highwayman. okay, there we go. Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, and uh, Willie Nelson. Yeah, Chris Christopherson should have played Willoughby. I get it. Ooh, okay. yeah, he would have been great. Moving on. Oh, hi there. <laughs> you hurt your ankle. May I have permission you to touch sell, you? You kind of sound like Bradley Cooper in I, Star Wars. Sorry, I kind of... <laughs> Oh, hey there. Could I, could I touch your nose? I, I I haven't even seen that movie. My only familiarity with that is because I listen to Never Not Funny. One of the co-hosts, Matt Belknap, does that voice, and his voice is, says, is like, mm, you got your tits in a ball. <laughs> so Willoughby saves her. It's almost Serbius in a lot of ways, but mm, let's be honest. Nobody knows what Serbius Nobody knows who Serbius McClintock is. One day. One day. We'll bring him up. When you, when you can't make it, I'll, I'll get him to fill in for All right. you. Sounds good. Uh, so yeah, so it brings her back, and this, this being this era in English history, of course, if a man saves you, uh, then that means that you want to be with him and marry him. And they <laughs> well, start to develop a bit of a relationship, Marion and Mary Ann and Willoughby. Well, Marianne is char her character. She's very like she gets very attached. Very she's quick. very young. She's very naive. She gets attached very quick, and she really wants to get married. And they 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 both like read Shakespeare to each other. Like the they sonnets. do all the things that was that you had to do back then. You had to read Shakespeare to each other. You had to go for walks. I assume flowers were exchanged. Play Guitar Hero. Uh, play Guitar Hero. Uh, 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 I'm just kidding. The cool kids play rock band. Slaughter pigs together in the yard. I'm sorry, they were a different class. They wouldn't. Have, if, if that would have been like a kind of a Jude the Obscure kind of situation. I still do that now. What? Just slaughter pigs Just in the yard. Slaughter pigs in the yard. You know what I mean about pigs, huh? Brendan, insert clip of Fuck the Police right here. <laughs> Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back because I'm brown. It's funny when you give yourself notes. <laughs> <clears throat> so they become very close, and it and it seems apparent to everybody involved that they're going down a deep hole that will end up in them being engaged. Uh, oh, so they, they may even, even be secretly engaged, because apparently that's a thing back then. Well, I think that was a thing back then, so that the families wouldn't find out if you were with someone of lower, lower class. Yes. 
what we're saying is the olden days were so much better, guys. Hashtag make Britain great again. But things are great until a letter shows up and Willoughby just totally fucking bails with barely any explanation whatsoever. No, well, no Brandon bails. Remember, because they go to a picnic at Colonel Brandon's house. Colonel Brandon gets a letter and he, he gets has that to letter first. Leave. I thought Willoughby got the letter. No, no, no. Colonel Brandon gets it first. He bails. So he bails and goes to London. And then sometime later. They're, they keep romancing. Willoughby yep. and Marianne are keep ma- romancing each other. And then suddenly Marianne is crying her eyes out. Willoughby can't explain why he's leaving. But he says, I'm, I've been called back. I have to go. I have yeah. to, I'm have forced into this marriage. Is it this other... Did he actually say that? I don't know if he says that. I, think he, I, I, I don't guess... even think he was that specific. I think he just said, like, I, I have business to attend to. My aunt, who is my who I'm financially responsible for. Lady Allenham or whatever. She requests me in London to, for some business. So yeah. I will be gone. I don't know when I'll be back. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and then, so he leaves. And we and don't so that's know why what, he's left. And that's what hurts her the most, is that she doesn't have any fucking explanation. He just has to be like, I have to go take care of something. Sorry. I don't know if I'll ever be back. I think her pride is also hurting, too, because she prides herself on this being the best way to kind of get a man is to be so open. Yes. And this has failed her horribly. Yeah, it didn't work out so much, so well. Well, also, I mean, well, the circumstances that we learn of this later on, I don't think have to do with her being open. She Maybe she blames that. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it is. I'm yeah. just saying that's definitely her thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so they have, so eventually they have lunch with Sir John's mother-in-law, Mrs. Jennings, that we talked about earlier. She's uh, quite the character. She, uh, Eleanor there, first meets Miss Lucy Steele, who is uh, uh, a friend of the family? Is it a cousin? Is it? I think it's like a friend of the family. She's a friend of the family. Um, And they become fast friends, uh, well, at least in Lucy's mind, because she becomes confident enough with with Eleanor to confide in her that she has been secretly engaged to one Edward Ferreras, or Ferris, or whatever the fuck his name is. For like five years? For like five years, yeah. Which is strange, because in the book it says four years. According to the Wikipedia article. Weird that they would pick five in the movie. Well, I'll have to email Caesar Wikipedia. Please do. Um, yeah, and of course, this this is uh, uh, saddens Eleanor, because she thought they really had something going there. And, uh, yeah, and, this then, is and like... also that she had misjudged his character so strongly that he would be this sort of guy to like hide an engagement and still pal around. It's uh, peak Emma Thompson acting yeah. in, this, in this moment, too. Yeah, exactly. Trying to maintain her composure, because that's what she's all about. Yep. But at the same time, even she can't help but like look a little forlorn. So much that Lucy is like, "Have you taken ill?" Mm. Yeah. yeah, and and the the but this starts a thing throughout the movie where Lucy is like constantly reminding Eleanor about this, and not because she's trying to make her feel bad because she doesn't know what's going no. on. It's because like, because Eleanor is one of the few people that actually know this fact. Yeah, and she's always like, "Oh, the family was so nice to me. Oh, this might happen. Oh, this will happen. Oh, blah blah." And Eleanor's just like. She's getting very angry. That's what she does. That's a real line of dialogue. So, obviously, everybody's a little bit down, but Mrs. Jennings, she knows how to have a good time, so she suggested everybody go to London. That's what you do. So they pile into the carriages, and they head for this big city. And when they get there, what do they do? They go to a fucking ball, Brendan. That's what you did at that time. You went to a fancy ball. They do go to a ball, and I do have a clip coming up here. All right. Uh, uh, But at that ball, one of them happens to notice, maybe it's Eleanor notices, that guess who's there? Willoughby. Willoughby. And she, and then Marion comes over. She notices him him and sees him across the room and is so super happy to see him. Good God, Willoughby. Will you not shake hands with me? How do you do, Miss Marianne? Willoughby, what is the matter? Why have you not come to see me? 
Were you not in London? Have you not received my letters? Yes, I had the pleasure of receiving an information you were so good as to send me. For heaven's sake, Willoughby. Tell me what is wrong. Thank you, I'm most obliged. If you will excuse me, I must rejoin my party. What a dickhead. Well, yeah, so you're like, well, what's going on there? So she kind of follows him off and we see that he's uh, married someone else or he's uh, going to marry someone else. Uh, but we don't know why yet. Yeah, and she's, she, of course, and poor Marianne is super confused. And then they, uh, she, is, she receives a package that contains all the letters she ever sent him as well as the lock of hair that he cut from her at one point. Because, again, in the old days, apparently that was something you did if you wanted to get married. You'd take a log of their hair. Yeah. Well, you we hold do, on to I, it I so you can even, smell it. I think, we even, I think we even see that scene. Yeah, no, they, yeah. they yeah, literally, him taking the lock of hair from yeah. her. Um, and explains that, yeah, he's marrying this uh, this other lady, Miss Gray. Which is 50,000 pounds. 50,000 pound dowry. That's a hefty woman. That's a hefty sum, is what oh, that is. Oh, right, money thing. That was a lot of money in in 1798. Like that that is a literal fucking fortune. A fucking fortune? That's a fucking fortune. Okay. He can fuck whoever he wants with that money. He can fuck Jennifer Fortune. Yes. The Noted most famous actress. prostitute of the era. Fuck <laughs> yes. Yes. So of course Marianne is completely fucking destroyed by this. Mm. Just absolutely devastated in the best teenage girl sort of way, like just crying and 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 having a total mental breakdown. Uh, but she's young. I mean, you know, and this this literally is the worst thing that's ever happened to her in her life. I mean, right. she's a rich girl, right? So, if it was a rich girl, anyway. But the rub gets deeper, Brendan. Colonel Brandon informs uh, everybody that he's an asshole. Not Colonel Brandon. Um, Colonel Brandon reveals that Willoughby, that Willoughby is an asshole. Do we want to hear what happened here? Yes. Okay, because this is a scene, I think this is the, if you're going to talk about Alan Rickman's acting in this movie, this is the Alan Rickman acting scene. Yes. If, they, if, this, if he had been nominated for an award, this is the clip they would have played. Spoilers for later, Brendan. Sorry. <laughs> but this is the clip they would have played. Okay. Uh, because he is, basically he comes in informing them that uh, Willoughby's true nature. Yeah. And he's doing so in a way that he wants, he's doing it for kind of Marion's benefit, mm. so she knows what happened, and he's also doing it... He's not doing it out of spite, because we know he doesn't care for Willoughby. But he's not doing it because he doesn't like Willoughby. He's doing it for Marion. And yes. it, it clearly pains him a little bit to say this. So I just want to keep, keep that in mind. Yeah, so I mean, because the one way you can look at this is that he's trying to just sell out uh, sell out uh, Willoughby. So but he doesn't play it that way. But, but no, it's, not, it, it's clear that's not his intent. Right, so here we go. No doubt, Mrs. Jennings has apprised you of certain events in my past the sad outcome of my connection with a young woman named Eliza. What is not commonly known is that 20 years ago, before she died, Eliza bore an illegitimate child. The father, whoever he was, abandoned them. As Eliza lay dying, she begged me to look after the child. I had failed Eliza in every other way. I could not refuse her now. I took the child, Beth is her name, and placed her with a family in the country where I could be sure that she would be well looked after. I saw her whenever I could. And she grew up so headstrong. And God 
forgive me. I indulged her. I allowed her too much freedom. Almost a year ago, she disappeared. Disappeared? I instigated a search, but for eight months, I was left to imagine the worst. At last, on the day of the Delaford picnic, I received the first news of her. She was with child. And the blackguard who had left her with no hint of his whereabouts. Oh, good God. Do you mean Willoughby? Willoughby! So, yeah. So, if you got all that, Willoughby bore a child with the ward. The ward of uh, Colonel Brandon, meaning uh, the woman he was... Taken care of. Yeah, the, basically his stepdaughter. As yeah. Well. And, yeah, she had, yeah. That's and crazy. that backstory, I don't know if they actually go into it in the movie, but, or if it's mentioned at any point, but it's because Eliza had a bad relationship with uh, uh, Colonel Brandon's brother. Oh, like I don't they, think they do that, yeah. Uh, Colonel Brandon's brother and her had been married, but it had been tumultuous, and then it, they, they divorced, and that was a scandal. Okay. And so she'd been kind of beaten down, and, and Brandon liked her a lot and kind of took pity on her. And, and Well, not even pity, but I think he, he genuinely had affection for her. Mm-hmm. And then when she had that child, uh, uh, he took care of the child for her when she died. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think they mentioned the brother. Yeah. In the book, uh, in the movie, the, the child's name is mentioned as Beth. Uh, in the in the book, uh, as I understand, the child's name is actually Eliza as well. Oh, it makes more sense that they changed the name. Yeah, because it would be confusing. It, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so that explained everything I wrote down here. Let's keep going. So Lucy, meanwhile, goes to stay with John and Fanny. Lucy Steele, our friend, who's secretly engaged to Hugh. To, and, to, oh, yeah, to Hugh Grant. To Hugh Grant, sorry, to... Uh, Edward? Uh, Edward, yeah. I was like, the fuck character's Hugh who's in this Hugh? movie? Um, and while she's there, she gets talking with Fanny, and for some reason that I don't understand, uh, she seems to think that she can trust Fanny. <laughs> she doesn't get a bad vibe from her at all. I think she f- can tell her her greatest secret. One of my favorite scenes. And so she, so she proceeds to tell her that secret by whispering in her ear, and Fanny immediately begins beating the shit out of her. Yeah, she's just like full on slapping her and like you can't. Da, 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 da. Well, because she's basically like Fanny, I'm in love with someone, but he's like he's so rich and everything, and she's like, oh, I'm sure the family will love you no matter who it is. Yeah, it's your brother. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> basically, and then of course the mother finds out, and the mother calls it off, and you know, obviously, uh, or or Edward's going to be disinherited. But Edward goes wants to go through with it. He anyway wants to go because through he's with loyal it. To, he's a loyal to... man. He's got a morals. He's going to push through. He's like, no, no. You know what? If that if I'm going to be disinherited, then that's going to happen. And if we're going to say we're if we're going to make similarity or we're going to make comparisons to him in this and Four Weddings, we mm. can say in this movie, I think he's a more genuinely good person. Yeah. In Four Weddings, he's definitely got issues. Yeah, issues. I also want to say about this scene, uh, like I find it so confusing as to why Lucy thinks that she can trust Fanny, but it turns out in the book. Um, this character is actually two separate characters. There's Lucy, who is engaged, and then there's her sister, Anne. And it's Anne that lets it slip at some point in conversation that uh, that Lucy is secretly engaged to Edward. So that makes a little more sense in that context okay. of her just opening her yap and, and accidentally ratting out her sister. Um, but yeah, Edward insists he, the engagement is fine. He's going to go through with it. He can be disinherited. And his uh, his mother transfers the wealth that he would be getting to his younger brother Robert, 
Who's not nearly as dashing. No. <laughs> but he is, uh, he, yeah. He's, he's a charm of his own, for he, sure. He's pretty funny. It's pretty funny to reveal, too, that we will, yeah. I mean, going back to the party, when you think it's going to be Edward at the party, he turns around, he does that, like, slow turnaround, yeah. and then it's Robert, and he's got a little bit of, like, an overbite, and he's yeah. like, <laughs> he's just He's just some mook. He's, yeah, not, he's, like, like, he's not this beautiful-looking man like Hugh Grant. He's oh, just hello, I'm, yeah. I'm the one that's not Hugh Hello, Grant. I'm Robert, yes. Uh, yes. I have, I have no one. I'm an eligible bachelor here. Yeah. So he's out of money. He doesn't really have an option, but the colonel is a wonderful, is a good man, and he wants to help. Uh, uh, he wants to help Edward out, and he says, look, if you want to come to my property where I've got a parish, and you want to be the clergyman there, and that way you, you can get a salary, and you can marry this girl, and you can live your life up, we can do that. And before, and, and, and before that, though, Eleanor... Finally sees Edward again. Yes, and with Miss Lucy in the room. Yes, and <laughs> this is a very funny scene. This is a uh, real brief clip here because this is a yeah. There's a little bit of awkwardness. Yes, here. very. So, oh man, the awkwardness is thick in this so, scene. So Marianne is very excited to see Edward because she doesn't know about this whole thing because yeah. that's just between Eleanor and Lucy. The fact that Lucy's been secretly engaged to Edward. Um, yeah, but, so it's like Marianne knows nothing of. Uh, Marianne knows that that Eleanor is into Edward, Edward. and. Lucy is into Edward, but doesn't know that Eleanor's into Edward. Right. So uh, let's... Yeah. Why have you not come to see us before? I, I have been much engaged elsewhere. Engaged elsewhere? But what was that when there were such friends to be met? Perhaps, Miss Marianne, you think young men never honour their engagements, little or great. No, indeed. For Edward is the most incapable of being selfish of anyone I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the like. I was engaged elsewhere. That's it, it. Reminded me a little bit of the the uh, wedding table scene in Four Weddings at a Funeral, where all his exes are at the table with him. <laughs> Guys, I know we're comparing this a lot to Four Weddings at a Funeral, but it's Hugh Grant. It's literally it a, only Hugh Grant, and the fact that it's a gut romance. And it was a year after. Yeah, and so there are comparisons to be made. I'm sorry, I just can't help but refer to it. But yeah, yeah. it's just funny. It's like our second episode in a row where we talk about that movie. <laughs> and then yeah, so once Colonel Brandon offers his parish so that Edward can go off and marry Lucy, mm -hmm. he tells Eleanor like, "You tell Edward this." news because it will be better coming from a friend yes uh because i don't even think colonel brandon knows that they had a thing or they were they were about to have a thing yeah no he's... so so eleanor does that in another scene that's kind of heartbreaking mm. where she tells edward like you can use this parish from colonel brandon and you could tell like just the pain in her as she tells him this mm -hmm. and he's like oh uh thank you very, thank you very much uh, I, I was of course i was uh, just uh, in the words of uh in the words of uh, you know i i think i love you but he doesn't do that no He's not, he's not that befuddled. What's the band movie? that he says in Four Weddings? I was stumbling on that. Partridge Family? Thank you. <laughs> so all this shit happens, and they go home. So they head home to Devonshire, and and I, we also haven't mentioned, uh, guess who shows up in this movie? One of my favorite people in the world, Hugh Laurie. As, he's basically uh, House. <laughs> as, as Palmer. Well, this is long before House, and this was in a period where Hugh Laurie was really known for doing comedy. Yeah, and he was always, and he would often do these very like outlandish characters, like George uh, in uh, Blackadder, or or even on the show, a bit of Fry and Laurie. Like he was very cartoonish and outlandish and loud. <laughs> and in this movie, he just plays a very angry, clearly angry, uh, uh, and and no shit giving. Uh, aristocrat named Palmer. Well, because he has a very excitable wife. He's a very excitable wife, and he's just a complete. He he has no time for any of her horseshit. No, no. and it's just wonderful. He's but just then, so good. But then he has a very sweet moment with Eleanor too, a little later on. Which yes. I was like, oh, okay, so they're kind of rounding. He's a up human his being, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't make him a caricature. No, he's just. He has a funny bit. Part. Just, she'll she'll make some like funny declaration. He's just like, no, that is not the case. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's a, it's a five. It's what? It's only a half mile. It's five miles. <laughs> is it really five is it miles? Is it really five miles? Yeah, we tease it. He's you like, can see it. You can see it from the hill. Yeah. Uh, and they, they see something about the, the his wife that makes me laugh too. It's like she hasn't drawn a breath that whole trip. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like how I was described as a child. Yeah, so so on their way home, they stop by the Palmer Estate uh, in Devon. Uh, no, they're they're going to Devonshire. Uh, they stop at the Palmer Estate to have a little visit. And while Marianne's there, she goes on one of her famous rain walks, like you do. Yeah. And this time, she just ends up like getting wet and sick. Very sick. And collapses in the field. And, and this time, Colonel Brandon is the one that gets her. Colonel Brandon is the one that shows up to rescue her, and uh, in traditional fashion, hoists her up in his arms and walks her back to the house and dumps her in the bed. And <laughs> make him sound like a monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They call a doctor this time, because she's, she's not in a good way. No, she has a very bad fever. She's got a very bad fever, and they fear it's contagious, so they have to make everybody evacuate the house that doesn't need to be there. Now, I do want to point this out. So Eleanor is at her bedside, right? Yes. I didn't. I wasn't able to pull this clip, unfortunately, but I know a few weeks ago we did This Sporting Life, mm-hmm. and we talked about a scene where Richard Harris was saying, don't go, don't go, you can't leave me, yeah. you can't leave me. It's almost the same dialogue in this yeah. scene, but because it's like a different dynamic, yeah. and it's different characters, and it's different delivery, it's the meaning is so much different. Yeah. Like, she actually says, you can't leave me alone, don't leave me alone, yeah. but... It's just it. I think to me, I'm just like wow. Performance is everything because this is like completely different. And you know, things have been kind of so shitty so far that we all expect that. Yeah, this is it. This poor girl's gonna die here in a fucking in a fugue state. I thought she was psychosis. Gonna... Knowing nothing about the novel, yeah. I thought she was gonna die. Yeah, and um, yeah, and Eleanor's there all night with her. Um, now in the book, there's a scene that is not in the movie where Willisby Willoughby Willoughby shows up and basically has a chat with her about. Saying, like, hey, look, I'm really sorry. Chat with Eleanor, being like, yeah, look, I really loved your sister. Um, but this dumb broad, Mrs. Gray, and the fucking other bitch that I knocked up, it's just causing actually, me problems. Look, what, I loved your sister, but those, those the, two shits are causing me problems. Are those the lines from the book? Not, No, not exactly. But apparently he talks about them in a very vulgar way, and, yeah. and, and Eleanor really doesn't like that, even though he, he appreci- she appreciates that he comes to admit that he did love her sister, but... She also is like, well, this guy's clearly a shithead because he doesn't talk nicely about these two other women that he screwed over. You know what? Points to Emma Thompson. I don't think we need that scene. No, don't need it. Don't need it. We were done with Willoughby at that point, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she goes through the night. She has a she has a fever and she's thrashing around and the morning rolls around and the fever breaks and she starts to come to a little bit and and the doctor is super happy and she turns out she's pulled through pulled through the worst of it. Mm-hmm. Still touch and go, but she's, uh, you know, she's way ahead of where she was. She started to be courted by Colonel Brandon? Yeah, well, Brandon shows up, and she says thank you to him, and she, yeah. And she and he smiles and walks out the door and leaves them alone. And then they have a little moment uh, after she's gotten better. They take a walk out, and they're looking. I think they're, are they looking down at Willoughby's house? Yes, because he's just over the mountain. Yeah. So they're looking at his house, and Marianne kind of realizes that, yeah, I didn't need to be with him I mean even if we were in love if money had been an issue too then maybe his life would have been about the money and not about me and they also make the point later like would wasn't it better that this happened early on rather than if he did get engaged and yes. then he just dropped you like a sack of potatoes exactly exactly um, and we get to this I think this is where we get to the final scene right yeah we're getting near the end of the movie here so the, the uh, cause so I, I do have a, a, a from the the ladies hearing of the marriage of Mr. Ferris a clip 
What is the clip of? What would you like to play? It's the uh, so it's the scene where Edward shows back up. Okay, yeah. Well, the, the setup for that: the ladies okay. hear that there is a <laughs> that the Mister Ferris has been married to Lucy, right? And so they're those exact words: Mister Ferris, Mister Ferris married to Lucy, and yeah. of course Eleanor is pretty sad about that. But then Edward shows up at the house, kind of out of nowhere. It's not me that was married to Lucy; it was my brother. So because so that's weird. So because he got out of the money. He didn't have any money. Lucy then dumped him and then hooked up with her brother, which yeah, for some reason was okay. Well, I think because they were like, this is the best Robert's going to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I also, think, I also think that... Um, so the whole thing with this is that he made some promise to her like five years ago or something like that. But you kind of turned the corner on him. Because like, at first I was like, is he kind of a shit? Mm. But then I was like, okay, no. He kind of made this, they kind of made it, like I had a thing, not really a thing, but they were kind of like romancing. But then I think, I feel like they didn't really do a lot for those years. Yeah. And then he was like, <coughs> I think when he met Eleanor, he's like, oh, this is actually what being in love is. Yeah. But then thought, because Eleanor was so reserved, oh, she's just seeing me as a friend. So yep. that's why I think this yes. thing continued. It helped, helped continue this comedy of errors. Yeah. Or tragedy of errors, I guess you yeah, could even say. It's not, I mean, yeah, I guess. It's not super tragic, but... Oh, there's a lot of sadness in this movie. True. These poor rich people. So, yeah, where Robert shows... Uh, Edward shows up. <laughs> Robert shows Robert, up. Robert Pattinson shows up. He's like, I, I think I... the vampire, Edward. I think I love you. I think I think I love you, and I sparkle. <laughs> sparkle, sparkle. No, so Edward shows up uh, to visit, and, and they ask after his wife, and he's confused. He's like, what do, you, what do you mean, my wife? And he goes, oh, wait, you hadn't heard. And then he tells them that Lucy shacked up with Robert. Uh, and this sends Eleanor into what is one of the most raw, like just a woman, a woman who's been trying her whole life to stay as reserved as possible, just being overcome in such a way that she's unable to maintain her defenses. Yep. So here we go to the, uh, the crux of this final scene here. Get ready. Eleanor. Eleanor, I met Lucy when I was very young. Had I had an active profession, I should never have felt such an idle, foolish inclination. My behavior at Norland was very wrong. But I convinced myself that you felt only friendship for me. And that it was my heart alone that I was risking. I've come here with no expectations. Only to profess now that I am at liberty to do so. That my heart is... and always will be... yours. Oscar shit. Yeah, so it's kind of a version of uh, the scene in Four Weddings and a Few Nights. I'm not going to bring that up again. But yeah, no, it's a very uh, it's a very raw scene. Yes, her crying. Okay, so I guess I'll throw this in here since we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Her, um, She like pushed for this idea of her crying through his whole speech. Hugh Grant was kind of like, well, won't that take away from the speech? She's like, no, Won't that take me. away from people looking at me? Well, well, I think he, he thought that focus of the scene is what yeah. he's saying which you would normally think reading this scene but she's like trust me it will only add to it because you get this bit like you said she's so reserved the whole movie which she finally it's such a raw emotional yeah. outpouring Waterfall. combined with what he's saying it's a pretty emotional scene yeah. absolutely absolutely and so yeah that's uh they clearly they're they're in each other uh he proposes to her at some point i don't know if that happens on screen it they happens, do get married. We learn because Margaret sees it from her treehouse. Yes, that's right. She sees it from her treehouse. Yeah. It's all very fun. And they get married at some point, and they, he becomes the, the, the parish priest. And then, of course, Colonel Brandon marries Marianne, and we see that wedding. 
uh, and it's a very lavish ceremony. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ends with them getting into a car, or I guess a cart, and uh, uh, Alan Rickman tossing a handful of coins at all the kids. Yes. Just fucking wrecking into them with the coins. Just full-on overhand throwing them right into their stupid faces. There's a great brief little acting moment where uh, as he throws the coins, we see Fanny and John. And Fanny just looks at John kind of nudges him. She's like, pick those up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so quick. It's just, I feel like it's an improv thing. And the last thing we see is who rides out in, onto the hill but Willoughby, who looks wistfully over the proceedings and then turns around and rides back off into the distance. Yep. He missed his window. He missed his chance. He blew it! How could, blow it up! How could you turn you down, animals? How could you turn down Kate Winslet? I don't know. He hadn't seen Titanic. I mean, it hadn't been made yet, but he still hadn't seen it. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was Time Lord. Uh, he did have the right hat. Well, that is Sense and Sensibility, 1995 Sense and Sensibility, directed by Ang Lee, of course. Yes, indeed. We'll be right back. Jason. Yes, Brendan. You listen to podcasts. I do. I listen to podcasts. I, I, I assume so. We all listen to podcasts. I don't know where you Every find the time. Every single person. Uh, I mean, they should, yes. They should. Well, I'm going to give you another reason why people should listen to podcasts. Why else should people listen to podcasts? What more could I ask than entertainment itself? Do you like money? I mean, I do, yeah. Do you like gift cards? Sure. Do you like feeling charitable? Mm, yeah. Well, you can download a new app called Podcoin. Podcoin. And what Podcoin is, is it literally you get money for listening to podcasts. You're shitting me. I am not shitting you, in fact. You get money for gift cards from like Amazon and Starbucks. Ooh. Or you can, like I said, if you're feeling the charitable sort, you give to charity. That's very cool. If you sign up today, if you use our promo code, ScreenPod, that's S-C-R-E-E-N-P-O-D, you will receive 300 bonus pod coins just for signing up. 300 entire coins just for signing up. Just for signing up. Man! And, yeah, so I mean, get on that trade. Get on the Podcoin train. Choo-choo. All aboard. Can I see your ticket, sir? Just kidding. You don't need one. All you need to do is download it on the App Store, on your iPhone, or on your Android. Get it now, because what do you get for listening to podcasts besides entertainment and, and education and enrichment as a human being? Jack shit. Start getting something today. Download Podcoin. Now. For money. And we're back. Thanks to those uh, guys that read our, do our sponsor bits. They're great. They're They're wonderful. Although, uh, anyway, I don't, I don't get into it. Jason, They're in a different need... department. We don't talk about <laughs> that. We don't actually know what they just said. <laughs> this is not done live. Jason, we need to uh, dive into the background of this movie. because Give me a... some shit, Brendan. There is a lot. I want okay. you to prepare yourself. I'm ready. Okay. Take out your corn cob pipe. All right. <laughs> sound effects. Bubble, bubble, bubble. <laughs> smoke, 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 etc. My pipe sounds like this. In 1989, Jason... Yes. That's what I'm going to say every word. So it's going to take forever. In 1989. In the year 2000. Lindsay Duran. Not of Duran Duran. No. Lindsay Duran, uh, the new president of a company called Mirage Enterprises, was on a company retreat brainstorming potential film ideas when she suggested the Jane Austen novel Sense and Sensibility. I want that job. I want to just be sent on vacation and go, think about movie ideas while you're there. Have uh, a few drinks. I mean... A retreat is like brainstorming sessions. Yeah, I want to do that. Okay, well, let's go. All right. We'll go to You're paying for it. (laughs) What's that now? Just put it on the podcast tab. Patreon! (laughs) So, it had already been adapted three times by this point, Sense and Sensibility. Uh, The most recent one was a 1981 television serial. Dorn was a fan of the novel, obviously, and she... Actually, she chose this Jane Austen novel because there are two female leads, and she was a very inclusive producer at the time when that wasn't uh, a thing as much, so so much. 
Does this movie pass the Beckdale test? Is there ever a scene where women aren't talking about the men in the movie? I would think so. There's because there's got. I didn't. Th- I should have thought about that before I started this movie. We should make that a reoccurring segment. Yes. It well, would... I mean, there, there's a whole podcast dedicated to that, so I'll let them handle it. I just was interested to know. So Doran had said that all of Jane Austen's books are funny and emotional, but Sense and Sensibility is the best movie story because it's full of twists and turns. Just when you think you know what's going on, everything is different. It's got real suspense, but it's not a thriller. So she's saying it, she thought it was the most adaptable into a movie of all the Jane Austen novels. Uh, she also said it has a wonderful characters, three strong love stories, surprising plot twists, good jokes, relevant themes, and a heart-stopping ending. So... Prior to this, they were looking for a screenwriter. So yeah. they needed somebody to write this script. So unconventionally, they're looking at Emma Thompson. Now, Emma Thompson had written a lot of skits at the time. A lot of comedy sketches. But but they were well-written. So Doran was Lindsay Doran was kind of like, well, she seems to have this ability to balance satire and like heartwarming yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? They actually, and she had already worked with Emma Thompson on a movie called Dead Again, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that is, but they had worked together before. But she knew that Th- Emma Thompson had never written a screenplay, like a full screenplay. So Th- Emma Thompson at first was suge- suggested uh, they they try to adapt something else like like Persuasion or Emma to mm-hmm. other Jane Austen novels because she felt like this was a big jump. Like Sense Sensibility is a giant story, yeah. And Emma Thompson had never written a script, <laughs> so. Uh, but she thought, you know what, Sensibility has a lot of stuff that can translate well into action on screen. Not so much action in the sense that we're used to, but lots, mm. a lot of things happening all the time. Yeah. And she thought it would make for good drama. So she spent five years writing and revising the screenplay, both during and between shooting other movies. So she's acting on the side. She's in, you know, Academy Award hit uh, nominated hits like Junior uh, at the time and, <laughs> you know, other movies like that. Um, and she tried, Emma Thompson says she tried to like simplify the dialogue a little bit because if you read the books, obviously very wordy. Well, I mean, written in 1798, they talked a little differently back then. But you do get a little bit of that in this movie. Yeah, like it's, yeah. It, it's definitely a little it's bit. It's got of... that tone without, you know, being, a, being a, almost incomprehensible. Yeah, this is not Henry V. Yeah, no, not quite. <laughs> Sorry for that slam, but it's true. Take that, Olivier. <laughs> yeah, he wrote it, right? <laughs> he did. He, he Shakespeare stole it from him. Uh,. So, Emma Thompson's first draft for the script, Jason, was more than 300 pages Holy long. God! Uh, handwritten pages. Still, that's... that. I mean, and, and to be fair, that's... It, you, your first script and you're adapting a novel, I'm amazed that it was only 300 pages, I guess. I mean, you gotta... You, I think at first you gotta put almost everything in there. Yeah. Um... She said the most difficult thing to do was to juggle the romances and give enough screen time to everything. And uh, her draft, I guess a lot of people criticized the way she presented Willoughby and Edward. Because Edward, at first, was not in a lot of the movie. Like, you know, the first 20 minutes of the movie hmm. is a lot of Edward. In their original draft, he's only in it for a couple minutes at the beginning, and it doesn't come back till like, the very end. Yeah. And she, so she decided to put him more at the beginning to kind of get the sense of who he is. And with Willoughby, uh, I guess this is still a criticism. People think she portrays him as a more not villainous but very negative character which i gotta take the task a little bit i think they do make him pretty well-rounded for Mm. especially what he does and they give him reasons for doing it it's not like he's just like aha i will impregnate this young girl and then i will not marry you i mean he's not a good well i mean his reason i assume his reason for impregnating that girl was he just wanted to get his dick wet well yeah that but like the fact that he 
really does love Marion. Yeah. Is a thing that they put it they kept in the movie, which she didn't need to. She could have made that, you know. Well, I mean in the book it does reinforce with that that scene of his visit that he's he's thinks of the other women very shittily and that's why Eleanor doesn't like him in the least. Now despite this book being written by a woman, Jane Austen, yeah. Didn't age so well in the modern day. A little sexist. Yeah. And well, it was a different time, Brendan. Yeah. Well, Emma Thompson was like, "Well, fuck that bullshit. We gotta we're we're gonna fix that a little bit. We're gonna adjust it for modern times just a little bit." Mm-hmm. So she did a lot of stuff. She she basically wanted to make the movies so it wasn't like just two women just waiting around for their guys. You yeah. know what I mean? She she wanted to give them more character. She wanted to give them more reason because I mean Eleanor for a while after the Edward thing, she's she's not kicking herself like she's fine for a while until that whole thing comes up with Lucy then it complicates the situation she's not laying around in bed just crying right and I mean that's Marion but that that's she gives you two different sides so interestingly here's here's the thing that almost ended a disaster so I don't know if you know this BBC program called QI yeah yeah, I love QI okay so Emma Thompson was a guest in 2009 and she mentioned that at one point during her writing process she had a laptop failure and almost lost the entire script. Ooh. Those uh, 90s laptops, yeah. unreliable. In a panic, Emma Thompson called fellow actor and close friend Stephen Fry <laughs> uh, because Hugh Laurie was... Uh, I, I don't know if she knew Hugh Laurie was going to be in the movie at that point, but she called Stephen Fry, who was the host of QI, yeah. and a self-professed geek, as well, it were. And the thing about Stephen Fry is, is that um, him and Douglas Adams were real tight friends, and they both were super into Apple products. So I'm assuming that she was rocking some sort of Apple product because Stephen Fry would probably be the guy to call in that situation. Well, here's what happened. Here's the most British thing ever that happened, okay? After seven hours, Fry was able to recover the documents from the device while Emma Thompson had tea with Hugh Laurie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, Ang Lee, this is very very interesting because you would think the sense of sensibility, you're like directed by Ang Lee. Yeah, I know. It's kind of an odd choice. Uh, he made a movie in 1993 called The Wedding Banquet. He had no familiarity with Jane Austen. But basically, the producer, Lindsay Doran, thought that uh, Lee's films, previous to this, had a lot of uh, similar themes to Jane Austen novels. Mm-hmm. And Ang Lee was not unfamiliar with the idea of like a very rigid society. Because like you know he's a Taiwanese director. He yeah. knows all about this kind of stuff. Uh, Lee actually said, In some ways, I probably know the 19th century world better than English people today, because I grew up with one foot still in that feudal society. Hmm. He said, Of course, the dry sense of humor, the sense of decorum, and the social code is different, but the essence of social repression against free will, I grew up with that. So, and and they also thought, like, Ang Lee was a director that could make this very commercial, in a way. Mm. Not, like, in a negative sense, but just, like, he could make it to appeal to, to bring, a lot more To bring people. more eyeballs to the film. Right. Mean. It yeah. wouldn't just be this weird little British movie. You know what I mean? Um, Ang Lee immediately shows up on set and says, Listen, I know we know these like, these great British movies like Barry Lyndon. It's a great movie. Age of Innocence, uh, great movie, but we're not doing that. He says, we're not... We're, those movies, he's like, quite frankly, they're great, but they're a little boring. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I want to keep this movie moving. I want, I want to keep up the pace. You know, I want to get the, the characters interesting. But I don't want a lot of scenes where we're just meandering around. So he was set to make a very different kind of uh, costume drama. Yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting culture clashes on set. There's a lot of stuff between him and the, the actors. Because Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant being, you know, actors, actors. And being English. And being English and being very good. They would make little suggestions to him between takes, like, oh, maybe we should try it this way. It doesn't make sense if I do this, etc. Like actors do. Yeah. Uh, Lee took great offense to this, because <laughs> in Taiwan, when he made his movies, that's not a thing you do. 
you put all the faith in the director. Yeah. And there's no actors like saying like, "Oh, can I do this?" It's like a great like it's like a so slap is this in the face. His first like Western movie. It's his first, yeah, okay. first American film. So it's like a slap in the face to him. Well, it's a British film, Brennan. Well, <laughs> you mean his first Western film? Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean. Ha! I'm going to treat you like my aunt treated me. I mean, technically, Britain was Britain and America were one and the same at some point. Not when this movie was made. You don't know that. Was this movie made in the 1760s? Yes. Oh, it explains the look of it. So here's the thing. Uh, it was science fiction when it was made. <laughs> yes. It was a very futuristic movie. Uh, take that, Melier. <laughs> so yeah, he, he took that as a, as an offense. Um, he also was not one to mince words on set. Mm. He'd be very direct. He was, they said he was a nice man. Very direct though. Um... He, he did a lot of, like, reining in, too. Because he knew with Hugh Grant he had a star. Kevin Thompson, great actress. Kate mm-hmm. Winslet, brand new. Uh, Alan Rickman, great actor. But Hugh Grant was a star actor. So he constantly had to, like, rein him in. Like, I don't want you to be the center of the scene. I know you're not trying to be, but you just are. Because you're Hugh Grant, and everyone's seen that fucking movie you did last year. Stop shining so brightly, Hugh. That's right. Uh, so I do actually want to play a clip here. This is Hugh Grant talking about Ang Lee a little bit. Oh, I want to hear this. And I'm gonna. Emma Thompson adapted Sense and Sensibility. She got Ang Lee to direct it, and they offered me that part. And I saw the part of Edward Ferrers, and I said, well, he's a bit of a hesitant, in-love Englishman. I don't think I should do that again. And they said, no, no, we know you can do it very differently. So I said, all right, then. And then I did exactly the same. Ang Lee was, I think that was his first non-Taiwanese film. He didn't, hadn't mastered yet the art of how to talk to British, sensitive British actors. I remember doing my first scene with Emma, and I thought we were marvellous. And we went up to Ang afterwards, who was sitting there at the monitor, he said, what do you think, Ang, what do you think? And he went, very boring. <laughs> and that was very disheartening. And he famously said to Kate Winslet at the end of her first day's shooting, you, you will get better. So he was uh, he was scary, but very charming. So yeah, not one to like, you know, he tell you to your face how you were doing. That's good. I guess that's what you want, really. You don't want him to mince words and fuck around. Yep. None uh, of this Hollywood butt licking. <laughs> and okay, so the Heavenly Creatures thing I mentioned earlier, because that was Kate Winslet's movie before this, Ang Lee didn't like that, her performance in that movie. Yeah. And he didn't want to audition Kate Winslet for that role. He actually was going to audition her for the Lucy role. Yeah. Uh, she, however, decided to kind of connive them a little bit. She showed up on set and pretended that she didn't know that. She said, oh, I thought I was still auditioning for Mary. Well, can I just read this just so we can do it? <laughs> Did one line reading and nailed it, got the part. So that's Good how for you do it in Hollywood. That's not, that's not really conning her way in. That's just being smart. Kate Winslet is a wonderful person, and yes. I love her. She, she, she done good. And she's one of the greatest actresses of all time. I'll say that Woo! right now. Uh, Hugh Grant was the first choice for Edward. And he actually did agree to take a reduced salary. Oh. So he's already at the point. Four weddings had just happened the year before. He's already at the point where he's a guy that's like, I get this for a salary. One movie. Well, one big hit When movie. it's as big a hit as Four Weddings and a Funeral was, yep. Well, that's, that just shows you how big of a hit that was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Alan Rickman was a conscious decision, too, because they wanted... Because, they loved Die Hard. <laughs> well, kind of, because they loved how he played these like kind of megalomaniacal characters so much. Yeah. They wanted to see what he would do with the opposite of that. And, like, obviously... To play, like, what ends up being a really solid dude in the form of Colonel Brandon. Exactly. 
there actually is a kissing scene that was cut from the final cut of the movie. And I actually watched it the other day yeah. between uh, Emma Thompson and Hugh Grant. And it's unnecessary. Yeah. And it's weird. Yeah. It does it, it. There's no spark. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why it was cut. There's no kissing in this movie. Yeah. Not a but, single but, but, person. But that, and that's great because that makes so much sense to like the, the feel of the era. Yeah. Like, I'm sure the book, I'm sure Jane Austen in the book didn't discuss like wet tongues wrapping around each other in, in passion. I mean, I think. I mean, I've never heard sense and sensibility referred to as erotica. Oh, well, not by your friends. Anyway. No. <laughs> oh. And the last thing I want to mention in the background, I know there's a lot, but I think it's very interesting. The budget for this movie. They got about sixteen, uh, sixteen million dollars to make the movie. What do you think that it made at the box office? Seventy-five million dollars, Brendan. It made a hundred and thirty-five wow. million dollars worldwide. That's a big. That's a big do for a, uh, a Jane Austen adaptation. I'd I, say. I believe it made between forty to fifty in the states, but then one hundred and thirty-five worldwide. Nice. So made its money back. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if Ang Lee's name helped it in the Far East. Uh, maybe, but I think we weren't in that era of like things opening uh, us uh, kissing China's ass. Yeah, well, there was other countries though. Taiwan certainly, Japan, Singapore. Yeah, well, that's 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 it. I mean, we dove a lot into this movie, but let's let's see if we can let's see if we got anything else here to add to this uh, add to this film here. Good looking movie, liked it. Lots of green, a lot of nice green. Fits in with uh, what do you call it? Uh, Go between. It's a very pretty looking movie in the pretty English country. Although this one was a much more manicured English country than Go Between. Did you notice a scene? Okay, there's a scene where Emma Thompson's character Eleanor is leaving when she's leaving the uh, and and Hugh Grant as Edward is coming over and like talking to her. They're standing by a horse. You remember the, you know, the scene okay. I'm talking about? That she's about to leave, and he almost does a Hugh Grant scene. Like yeah. it's almost like a oh, this was, oh, yeah. oh terribly oh, sorry, uh, but. It's like a reined-in Hugh Grant scene mm. where he doesn't like quite stumble as much. <laughs> I that has to be a conscious decision. I wonder if that's like a studio note, like make another scene like that because that's what the people want. People love it when you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, we already talked about the uh, Sir John and uh, Mrs. Jennings. They're great, mm-hmm. great characters. Yeah. Oh, I love how uh, <laughs> Mrs. Jennings because uh, Margaret is saying like, "Oh yes, Eleanor is." infatuated with a man let's just call him mr f and uh and mrs jennings making all these jokes or whatever and then she says like uh, something about her singing a song she's like oh perhaps she will sing it in f major yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's a she's she's the 1790s equivalent of a brassy old broad i love how they also um established that colonel brandon and edward are like good people mm. as opposed to like Willoughby. Willoughby barely pays attention to Margaret, mm. like a little Margaret. He he almost runs her over this fucking horse. Yeah. Um. However, the, one of the first things Edward does is help to. Uh, they, well, the funny scene where they're talking about they want to get Margaret to come out from under the bed because yeah. she's hiding from Fanny and John, and so uh, him and Eleanor are saying all these horribly wrong facts about where things are in the Atlas. He's like, the Nile River, I believe that's in Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she comes out and corrects them. And then, you know, they bond very quickly. And Colonel Brandon, too, like, he, he's he's very, uh, he's very he gets along with uh, Margaret as well. So hmm. I think that's interesting. Like, that's a, way, a good way to, like, show that they're, like, the better choices, I should say. If the person doesn't get along with kids and, and uh, animals, then you may have an issue. There's nothing along with animals. Get out of my life. <laughs> Interestingly, there's other dynamics too. Like obviously, we get we got uh, Colonel Brandon's story earlier about the girl he loved, 
he was being he was forced away to the army mm. while she was forced basically into the poorhouse where she died penniless and you know had the child yep. etc and compare that with edward's situation where he was basically forced away from eleanor mm. and you know then she's like oh is that where i'm fucking heading like the poorhouse yeah. and like that <laughs> situation because she's not they're not doing well the dashwoods are not doing great no. like they have the support of the uh sir john and mrs jennings but you know if it keeps up this way they will head th- that yeah. direction exactly I also like how Mrs. Jennings is trying to bond everyone. Yeah. She's trying to, she's basically matchmaker to like everyone there. And she's trying, she's the old lady. That's her job in her mind is again, because the idle rich have nothing else to do, but play matchmaker with each other and set up relationships. Well, they say too, like her daughters are already married. She's trying to get everyone else married. Exactly. (laughs) She, uh, she has this little, uh, cute thing where she's talking to Colonel Brandon and Marianne because they're both very musically inclined. Mm. And she says, Oh, maybe you could do a duet. And uh, Marietta's like, I do not know any duets, and so walks away. <laughs> it's very heart-crushing. Heart Even like, okay, this is a small thing, and I'm sorry, but this is something okay. I noticed. Hit me. So even the choice of flowers. So there's a scene where, so we talk about Marianne getting uh, going in the rain, getting very cold, getting rescued by Willoughby. Mm. The next day, Willoughby and Colonel Brandon both come over to see her, <coughs> and they each bring her flowers. Yeah. Willoughby brings her like wildflowers, like picked from the the wherever, right? The fields. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Brandon gives her like very like uh a very precise bouquet. Yeah, nice like bouquet. Uh, like quote unquote store bought. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and it's very like, oh, he's this very proper gentleman while Willoughby is kind of a wild character. He's a wild he's a his mane cannot be tamed. He's like a wild Mustang. I just think I just love movies that they go they go that deep in the writing. Yeah. And it's not in your face, it's not thrown at no, you. But you think it's, about it. It's, it's just, just you think there. about it for half a second, like, oh yeah, I see what they're going for. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. And she likes wildflowers, oh boy. Oh she, yeah, Marianne does because she—that's more her personality. Yeah. Um, but I think also her character arc leads her to realize that maybe it's not the best thing for her to be with someone that is like her. Yeah. Maybe her best option is to have someone that's almost the opposite. Or maybe she realizes that people like her are terrible, and she needs to be with someone like her sister, who she doesn't, who she doesn't like her approach to things. But then is like, oh, maybe she's right. Also, like I think in the end, Colonel Brandon will help rein her in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. He will tame her. <laughs> I mean. We don't have to talk about the fact that he's 48, Kate Winslet's 19 when this movie gets made, but... Mm. Yeah. That's the dream, isn't it? Oh, Jesus. I also, like, there's a lot of cool, like, visual things that Ang Lee does. Like, when Willoughby leaves uh, Marion, when he abandons her, the family literally separates into all separate rooms. Mm. Like, Marion goes off crying, Margaret goes into a room... Uh, the mother goes into another room and Eleanor is basically left alone sitting on the steps. Like, he literally breaks that family apart for a while. And, of course... Marion won't say what's going on, and Eleanor won't say what's going on with her secret with Lucy. So I mean that leads to a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of problems. If everybody just talked to each other about stuff, these movies wouldn't happen. They they didn't do that back then. No. <laughs> I do have another clip I want to play from the movie. Um, just to, this really points out the differences between Eleanor and Mary Marianne. and this is where I believe this is where Marion finds out finally has found out that. Eleanor knew that Edward was with someone else. Why did you not tell me? Lucy told me in the strictest confidence. I could not break my word. Edward loves you. He made me no promises. He tried to tell me about Lucy. He cannot marry her. Would you have him treat her even worse than Willoughby has treated you? No. But nor would I have him marry where he does not love. Edward made his promise a long time ago, long before he met me. 
Though he may harbour some re regret, I believe that he will be happy in the knowledge that he did his duty and kept his word. After all, after all that is bewitching in the idea of one's happiness entirely depending on one person, it is not always possible. We must accept. Edward will marry Lucy. And you and I will go home. Always resignation and acceptance. Always prudence and honour and duty. Eleanor, where is your heart? What do you know of my heart? What do you know of anything but your own suffering? For weeks, Marianne, I've had this pressing on me without being at liberty to speak of it to a single creature who was forced on me by the very person whose prior claims ruined all my hopes. I have endured her exaltation again and again whilst knowing myself to be divided from Edward forever. Believe me, Marianne, had I not been bound to silence, I could have produced proof enough of a broken heart, even for you. Intense. And that's the closest she comes to crying before she had her breakdown at the yeah. end. Yeah, it was interesting. The only other thing I want to say uh, about the movie itself uh, they mentioned this sonnet a couple times. Sonnet 116 of William Shakespeare. And they say, Love is not love which alters it when alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. So what that kind of means, I I mean, I'm not, I didn't decipher it myself. Tell me what it means, Shakespeare scholar, Brandon. Well, I'll tell you what it means, good sir. It means that love is not changed by, like, differences in a loved one. So, like, if you love someone and then they turned out they're kind of an asshole, you still kind of love them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that that's kind of what happens. She still loves Willoughby mm -hmm. in the end. I think even right up to the very end, in, in her own way. She has the wisdom, finally, to be like, yeah, this, just this because is a bad I, idea. Yeah. <laughs> just because I love him doesn't mean I should be with him. Yeah. Exactly. I believe that is all, that is all I have. Do you want? Is there anything else you want to add to that? I just want to say, like, this was a solid film. This was a really. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the book, uh, uh, although I did read a plot summary of Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters today, and that sounded pretty cool. Uh, but uh, I'm Will not familiar with the book. The sea monster. But this, yeah, this seems like a competent and well made and enjoyable version of this type of story. Yeah, and, and I will say I was a little afraid. When we started, when we when we rolled this, because I, I in my head I'm thinking English patient, because yeah. got to get that English patient reference in every absolutely. Uh, in my head I'm thinking like English patient, like stuffy, like movie. It's gonna be just two two hours of just blah. Yeah, but it's really not. No, it's actually it's quite good. Like quite engaging, and like honestly, even if you're like if you're wondering and you're kind of hesitant about this kind of movie. Um, Give it a shot. If you, if you like Downton Abbey, if you like that sort of thing, you will like this movie. Yeah, it's not. Even, I wouldn't even say it's slow. Honestly, no. like I would say, I would recommend this one over, say, like getting someone to watch The Go Between because yeah. I think that movie would be interpreted as slow by Absolutely. a lot of people. This one, however, yeah, and it's two hours and sixteen yeah. minutes. So I, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. Well, let's talk about this movie because Jason, this movie goes to the Oscars. Yes, but it only wins one Oscar. What but it's nominated for a lot, so let's go through the nominations. Noms, noms. Uh, it is nominated for Best Costume Design. Okay, obviously. Best Cinematography. Yep. Best Original Dramatic Score. Okay, it's not bad. Best Supporting Actress for Kate Winslet. She's good. Her first nomination, That's her second sweet. movie. That bodes well for her career, right? Yes. She's great. The other nominees in, in that category were Joan Allen for Nixon. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan for Apollo 13, mm -hmm. Mary Whittingham for Georgia, and the winner that year was Mira Sorvino for The Mighty Aphrodite. It's a Don't Woody Allen that. movie. Oh, okay. 
He's a good guy. What do you all? Yeah, great. It's also nominated for Best Actress for Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. Other nominees include Elizabeth Shue for Leaving Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, Sharon Stone for Casino, mm-hmm. Meryl Streep for The Bridges of Madison County. Okay. And the winner that year was Susan Sarandon for Dead Man Walking. Oh, didn't see it. Well, you should. It's really good. And it's also nominated for Best Picture, my friend. The other nominees were, and this is not the Kevin Costner one, The Postman, <laughs> Babe, yeah, Apollo 13. Yeah, a great movie. And the winner was Braveheart. Braveheart. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, I would have, honestly, I think it would have been kind of cool if Babe had won. Or uh, Apollo 13. Babe is a great movie. Babe is a good movie. Uh, Apollo 13 is a fucking classic movie. Yeah. It's Ron Howard at its best, for yeah. sure. Uh, it wins one Oscar. It wins for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, that's cool. So Emma Thompson got to win an Oscar out of Yay! it. That's awesome. Her first screenplay, and she wins an Oscar. Her and Kate Winslet just fucking knocking shit out of the park. But, you know what I say? Hashtag fuck the Oscars. Yeah. Because it fucking goes to the BAFTAs too, motherfuckers. Woo! Sorry, I gotta really The real awards. The real awards, guys. At the BAFTAs. It is nominated for the following. So these are the ones it doesn't win, but nominated for. Best Supporting Actor for Alan Rickman. Best Supporting Actress for Elizabeth Spriggs, who plays Mrs. Jennings. Nice. Which, yeah, it's a nice surprise. Best Adapted Screenplay doesn't win. Huh. Uh, best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Direction, Best Film Music, Best Makeup and Hair, and Best Production Design. Wow. It wins Best Lead Actress for Emma Thompson. Nice. Best Supporting Actress for Kate Winslet. Nice. And Best... Oh, I, I had Best Direction in there twice. But it, it wins Best Direction for Ang Lee. Nice. Yeah. Very good, very good. It did, it did pretty well. Uh, this film had quite a legacy. I mean, it helped to... Uh, it it kind of opened the window. Uh, opened the doors, rather. For other Jane Austen novels to kind of get adapted. And yes, it was happening already. But this allowed for kind of bigger budgets, bigger stars. I mean, you get movies coming out after this. Like, the very next year was Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. You get Pride and Prejudice, I mean, some years later. But, yeah. I mean, that had Keira Knightley. You get uh, Bridget Jones's Diary. was an adaptation, a modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Huh. And you get Colin Firth playing Mr. Darcy. Like, it's, uh, it's right there, right? Wow. And just, in general, British films with, like, really strong female leads... Because that was a big test of this movie. You get two female leads, and this movie fucking takes off. It's almost like girls can be in movies that make it's money, amazing. Jason. It's amazing, Brendan, that women can be in movies. Yeah, it's almost like the archaic way of thinking is yeah. archaic. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? Huh. Yeah, so I just want to finish off by saying... Sense and Sensibility is number 62. It's a sensible choice to watch. And I am, again, flummoxed that I enjoyed it as much as yeah. I did. No, it's a great movie. thought it was going to be a stuffy costume drama, and it sort of is, but it's not really. Like, it's engaging. It's strong writing and amazing performances from everyone. It's really good. You'll enjoy the afternoon you spend with this film. So you're saying you're giving it the thumbs up as thumbs well? Thumbs up. Full Roger Ebert on this great one. Great movie. Watch it. 62. Seems like it might end up being about right, but it might be a little higher for me. We'll see. We'll see. We still have to watch Lords of Arabia. <laughs> and carry on up the Kyber. That's right. That might be better. <laughs> might, it might it be may better. even be, yeah. It might be my number one. Imagine if this... <laughs> it just was so funny. <laughs> Not dated at all. Jason, right in the end here, uh, before we move on, I just want to play this one last clip. It's kind of a nice little tribute to Alan Rickman. All right. From uh, Kate Winslet. Let's hear it. It's a funny time to be nominated for things and accepting prizes when people as great as him have left us. But I don't want to leave you on a sad note, so I'm going to tell a funny story about Al if I can. 
when I worked with him when I was only 19 years old, I was absolutely terrified on day one. And I remember him looking at me and I remember feeling so small, smaller than I'd ever felt before in my life. And after a few weeks of getting to know him and realising just how wonderful and warm he really was, I was standing there in my costume on Sense and Sensibility and my knickers had gone up my bum. <laughs> And, um, you know, when you're trying to flick your knickers out of your ass and you're wearing a corset, it's actually quite tricky. And so I was sort of yanking at my pants. <laughs> and Emma Thompson was standing right there. And I said, oh, fuck, my fucking knickers have gone up my ass." And Al just said, ah, oh, feminine mystique strikes again. <laughs> That's good. Well, Jason, oh. now's the time, Brendan. Oh, I hear them. Oh, I hear them. Oh, yes. My under, I mean, my dice. It's time. It's time. It's, it's Vader time. Vader time. <laughs> so, yeah, it is my turn to roll the dice, is it not? Yes, because remember last week. Uh, we had the same discussion. I rolled. Yeah. And I had to do a re-roll. That's right. You had to do a re-roll for the first time in history as we re-rolled the sporting life once more. But this time, ooh, I hope, so I, I, hope I, you enjoyed, again. I hope you enjoyed last week's repeat of the sporting life. All right. <laughs> uh, so here we go, Jason. We're going to roll the dice. What are their names? One is one is Queen and one is Screen. That's right. Uh, queen, queen is red. Screen is green because Queen right. is a color of blood. That's or right. Red is a color of blood. Queen's not a color. It's queen hearts. And we're going to find out. You're going to roll a number and we're going to do the movie that is that number on the BFI Top 100. Are we ready? I'm scared, but let's do this. That's an interesting way of rolling. 32. Okay. I feel like we may have already done it. Is that the English patient? No, that's way further down. That's like 50-something. All right, 32. 32, Jason. 32. Okay, no, we have not done this. It's from 1959. It's uh, director Jack Clayton, and the movie is called Room at the Top. Huh. Interesting. I know nothing about it. But I'm excited uh, to find out what it's about. Our old pal Lawrence Harvey is coming back oh, from Darling. Yes, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about it either. But uh, we're gonna check it out. 115 minutes. Made two and a half million dollars at the box office. I was gonna start talking about that. I was like, maybe we should save it for next week. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna be our next movie next week. Woo. Room at the top. So get ready, watch along. And then, of course, Jason, we should mention this right now. After next week, because mm -hmm. it's going to be episode 20, or the 20th, 20th official BFI Top 100 movie we've covered. Yes. Let's not, say, let's not count the Avengers no. in that. Um, after that, the next week, we're going to actually be doing our rankings so far. We're going to have a, a special episode where we're going to go through the movies we've watched so far, talk a little bit about them, and kind of rank them ourselves. Yeah. And I don't know, I, haven't, I don't think we've quite nailed it yet if we're going to do, like, separate lists, or we're going to try to somehow, like, collate it to one big list but we'll have to figure that out uh we're also going to give out a few awards yes maybe some some screenies screenies some yeah. countries some queenies some screenies squeenies some squeenies some screeny cunts there we go ew i'm just you're gross that. you're fired you're canceled hashtag cancel brendan hashtag podcast over because you produced this thing so yeah that's true we're done jason <laughs> just records it into a tin can <laughs> nobody hears it but my mommy <laughs> <laughs> never want to hear you say that again <laughs> but uh that is going to do it for us this week again room at the top find it watch it we'll talk about it next week 
Until that time, though, Jason, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. Almost skipped that. You can follow you on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for, for Screen and Country. And all, and uh, oh, not all the podcasts, some of the podcasters. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and at forscreenandcountry.podbean.com. And wherever quality podcasts are sold. And on comingrightup.org, we actually air on... Uh, the radio, the radio station. Yeah. Did I tell you about this? Where? Did what? Did I tell you about this? No. What? No. Uh, ComingRightUp.org, we air on the radio station on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Central. So check that out. 10 a.m. Eastern. Yeah. 11 a.m. Atlantic Standard Time. Yeah. Atlantic nobody, Daylight Time. Nobody fucking knows that. <laughs> so, that having been said, Jason. Brendan. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. I'm still Jason. Will you court me? Oh, no, 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 no. Stop. Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Jay Batts. And I'm Michael. And we're the hosts of a very thought-provoking show called The What If Podcast. On it, we'll explore the big and little what-ifs of life and steer our listeners toward a better understanding of the real or hypothetical situations we might find ourselves in. Or not. On our journey, we'll learn interesting facts and fictions about the everyday world. And sometimes, most of the times, we'll dive headlong into rabbit holes that slide up against the subject and sharply turn away from it. Come along with us. We'll have fun and learn something new together. New episodes release every other Tuesday. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, and anywhere fine podcasts are archived.